0: Right, if you would, open up your Bibles. Oh, we're in Genesis chapter 12. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. Man, I am amped up this morning. You ever get that way? I don't know what happened. I usually don't eat breakfast. I didn't eat breakfast. I haven't eaten anything. I'm just like wound up like a top this morning. So if I start running around the church, just, just pray for me. Will you do that? Maybe it has something to do with uh, I spent... Um, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday with a bunch of free church pastors at our theology conference. It was all about marriage and singleness, and uh, Bethany texted me, and she said, how's the conference going? I said, it is dry as a bone in here. I said, but the content is so good. So it might be just that I sat and just listened uh, to the Word of God for uh, three days straight, and and I'm just wound up like a top. And so here we go. You know, we're going to see what happens. And if uh, you want that content, hey, shoot me an email. I'll, I'll send it to you. I got all of those things. It's riveting. Let me tell you what. I mean, you'll be sleeping in 10 minutes. it be so good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, I, I'm kind of kidding. <clears throat> One of the speakers couldn't make it. This is totally like, you don't need to know this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. One of the speakers couldn't make it. So the, so uh, our guy, his name's Greg, he gets up there and he's like, hey, he can't make it, but we he's going to record it and we're like oh okay so sure enough he recorded it on his iphone and i could see his papers right i always get really nervous when i can see like whoever's presenting pastor's papers he had a stack about that thick <laughs> he did not move from his spot and he just and i thought 50 minutes this guy is going to talk i said lord what did i do <laughs> what did i do Uh, It was really good, but at the same time, it took a lot of work uh, mentally to stay with him. So hopefully, I'll be a little bit more engaging than that this morning. Let's backtrack uh, from Genesis chapter 12 over to Genesis chapter 11 and get a running start on how we arrive in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 11, we learn of the Tower of Babel, a place after the great flood from Noah and the ark where prideful pagan humans are united in their language as well as their purpose. Now as they're united, what's their plan? They plan to build this ziggurat, this tower that is going to touch the heavens, and they want their gods to be able to go up and down uh, on that tower. God comes down, our God, who is the living God, and we see the covenant name of God manifested in Genesis constantly by the name Yahweh. So, if you ever see L O R D all capitalized in the Old Testament, that is the covenant name of God. His name is Yahweh, and Yahweh sees what happens. He transpires, or he uh, he um, intervenes, and he confuses the people's languages. He scatters them all across the earth. Now, what's interesting in the Tower of Babel is The people are supposed to do that, right? In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, the people were commanded by God to scatter, to spread out, but they chose to stay together. And when they're staying together, they did things against what God called them to do. The Tower of Babel, Babel, excuse me, signifies human arrogance. So last week, we talked a lot about pride. What is pride? How do we overcome this problem that we have about pride and self-reliance? And as we unpack pride, it really moves us into Genesis 12. This is a pivotal moment in Genesis because this is where humanity seems helpless. If you remember last week, I said, you know, you get to the end of the story in chapter 11. And you think to yourself, where's the hope? I mean, it's really just like flat. Where's the salvation in Genesis chapter three? God tells Eve that there's going to come this individual who is going to crush Satan. And it was a promise that was to her and then to her generations and all of the people that transpired and all in Genesis were wondering, where is the one who will crush Satan? And if you get through Genesis 11, you look at it and you think to yourself, man, he's not coming, which is really what a lot of people think today who follow Jesus They think, where is this guy that you constantly say is coming back again? And we have hope that he is going to come. All God's promises come true. And here comes in Genesis chapter 12. There's a guy named Abram. Some of you know him as Abraham. He is a descendant of Shem. And Abram is called out of a pagan world. He's really somebody who shouldn't be who he is. I mean, his background is so twisted. He comes from pagan parents. He comes from all of these problems. He's lost a brother. There's things that have transpired in his life. And God makes astonishing promises to Abram that will become the Abrahamic covenant. God makes a promise, a covenant with him. And really, in chapter 12, it contrasts so much of what happened in chapter 11. Because here, God's redemptive plan is going to come to fruition. He's going to bless humanity through a chosen lineage, a chosen people. And there's going to be an importance of faith. Abram's going to be asked, will you leave everything to follow me? The same command, the same question that Jesus asked for us. Would you leave everything to follow me? Would you do that? Abram is the embodiment of faith. So many other passages of scripture speak about Abram. You got Romans chapter 4, Galatians 3, Hebrews 11, and James chapter 2. Excuse me, just a second. And so let's look at why. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. Few words today about biblical faith and what it looks like for us to hope in the Lord. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord, there it is. See, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, Yahweh, covenant God, said, we don't know how he said it, by the way. We don't know if this is verbal or if this is uh, a nonverbal. Regardless, God speaks to his people. He says to Abram, go. Interesting, Matthew 28 says, go. From your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I am going to show you. (laughs) There's a command here with a promise. The same word that summons the cosmos into existence, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the Lord said, now commands a common man named Abram who would bring a nation into existence, a covenant nation. Abraham's chosen by Yahweh for unknown reasons. We have no idea. This is a question I have when I get to heaven. Why did you pick Abram? And God will say, because my plans are my plans. They're not like your plans. My thoughts are my thoughts. They're not like your thoughts. Abraham's chosen for whatever reason. We can only look at it and say, this is God's sovereignty. This is his divine wisdom. There are certainly other religious people at the time, which is perhaps proof And I would write this in your Bible, that God calls the ordinary, thank you, Lord, just like Jesus calls the disciples. Yahweh tells Abram to go forth or to leave his country, that's Haran, in chapter 11, verse 31, if you want to make the connection there, and his pagan relatives or kindred uh, to a land that he would reveal or show him. And in that land, he's going to do three things. Let's look at verse 2. I... Notice it doesn't say you, I. Speaking of our covenant God, Yahweh, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. Now, notice he's not saying I'm going to make you famous so that you'll be famous. You're going to be famous why? So that I'm famous. And then you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I'll bless those who bless you. That's why we partner with Israel, by the way, in case you ever wondered why we support Israel so much. And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we get three covenant promises that come to the surface here. Yahweh tells Abram that if he leaves... Sorry, I'm going to do that constantly. Abram and Abraham are going to go back and forth. I try to keep it in context, but it's hard to do because we know the rest of the story that he becomes Abraham. If he leaves Haran, he'll make Abram three things. Now, these are covenant promises. Now... Pause for a second. These are covenant promises based off of Abram's faith. Abram's faith. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. Oh, I thought you were going to give me your cup. I was like, wait, I don't want that. (laughs) Now, these are all on his faith. So faith is two things here. Number one, faith is trust. Then faith is obedient. Can you track with me? Faith starts with trust. Then it moves into obedience. And here's how Abram is to be obedient. Number one, a great nation. Number two, a blessing for Abram. In other words, it will go well with you because you're doing what I am telling you to do. And then three, a great name, numbers and significance. Now, based on this obedience... God gave Abram three promises. Bless those who bless him, curse anyone who would treat him lightly, and bless the families of the earth through him. Can you do it in other words? Absolutely. In other words, to bless or curse Abram was to bless or curse Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? If you bless or curse Abram, you bless Or curse Yahweh. The third promise is what I would say is the most important. I don't want to rank God's promises, but I'm going to here. Because it takes its greatest fulfillment in Jesus. He is the ultimate blessing to the world. So in your Bibles, you should write Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 9 at the end of verse 3 in Genesis chapter 12. Because Jesus is the fruition of this promise. Thank the Lord we have the rest of the story. Now, in the ancient Near East, a name wasn't just a label, but it was a revelation of character. I tried to uh, do this with my kids way back when they were uh, little. I tried to tell them that a great name is something that is significant. In other words, we want to be known in the community for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons, right? Now, back in my hometown, I think I was known for the wrong reasons, (laughs) And here, uh, we want to be known for the right reasons. Your name is a revelation of your character. A great name didn't just mean fame. It meant social esteem or superior character. What would people say about your character? Now, God blesses Abram to be his blessing bearer. The same should be said about us in our character. Would people say about you, that they have received the glory of God upon their life, and so they give back that glory to the people they interact with? Or would they say, you're more of a glory getter than a glory giver? Abram is a glory giver. Now, Bruce Walkie, who's a commentator, said, the procreative intentions of divine blessing, this is God's blessing, are always within the context of loyalty to the spiritual transformation, not of self, but to future generations. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, track with me here for a second. You know what he's saying? You've been blessed by the Lord so that you can bless others, starting with your immediate family. A great name is to be lived on from generation to generation to generation to generation. Say it another way. Okay, The blessings of Yahweh to Abram are given for creating new life, staying faithful for himself and for future generations yet to come. Can I unpack this in a way that might be really close to home to some of us? Some of us in my generation are a little frustrated watching parents who have walked away from the faith that they so adamantly positioned themselves for when we were young. And they said, church is important. We're going every time the church doors open. And we were there. And we continued to go. But for some odd reason, they left. Why? That's a warning for us raising kids right now. That we should pray that our faith Stays grounded and founded, not just vertically, but also horizontally connected to the church. Abram has to believe all of this. He takes the blessings of God seriously, responsibly. He thinks they're going to affect the future generations in a divine way. Older generations, if you think your participation in this place is something that is passive and that we're not watching, that's not true. There is nothing better than a seasoned saint who makes church a priority. We're watching. Kids are watching. Generations are watching. Abram's family is watching. Now, Abram's faith is leaving. What is he leaving? He's leaving earthly things, land, people, family, to a land that we know little about. Can you imagine A moving company showing up to your house and saying, hey, we see you got your stuff all boxed up. Where are we going? (laughs) I don't know. God will tell me. That's exactly what's transpiring here. Abram is all packed up and he's ready to go. And he's waiting for the Lord. Now, like Abram, a blessing or curse comes from being faithful or faithless. This is the central theme of Genesis. This is something that was so desperately needed in those first 11 chapters of the text. We must respond to Yahweh like Abram does. First, in faith. So how do we start our journey? We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord because we have the rest of the story, right? So that's the start. And then two, we put that faith into action. I think that the walk with God is left foot, right foot. Left foot is trust, prayer, Lord, show me where you want me to go. Right foot, walking in that and being willing to be redirected if and when needed. This is how we see God's commands and promises come to fruition, not just by sitting. It's always in action. Some people look at this and they say, I don't see my faith being manifested a whole lot in my everyday life. Well, maybe you're timid with your faith. Maybe there's not action that is being done in order to see faith flourish. You can't pick fruit if you don't plant seeds. Verse four. So Abram, (laughs) I love this passage of scripture, by the way, he went, all right, Lord, here we go. Now, he didn't, it doesn't say that he went where he wanted to go. It says it went. he went as the Lord, L-O-R-D, covenant, Lord, had told him. Now, some people tag along with him. Verse 4, second part, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, so you can still move for the Lord when you're older. And When he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, who will become Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, So we learn about Lot there, okay, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. This is a faith-filled journey of hope. In an act of faith, underline it twice, Abram went. That means he walked. He walked as Yahweh told him. Now, his walk is transformed from relocation to a pilgrimage of faith to looking for the heavenly city. For those of you who haven't read uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, it's really prevalent in this text. It really rings true. If you haven't read that yet, make sure to pick that up. Uh, Pick up the new version, by the way. The old version, you'll be lost in two seconds. You'll be like, Pastor Jordan, why did you recommend this to me? I'll be like, you picked up the wrong version. Now, when scripture says that Lot went with him, it means he's simply tagging along for his own accord. And this is going to be disastrous later on down the road. Moses should have or not Moses. uh, Abram should have told him to stay. (laughs) But when Moses, who is our author, makes note of Abraham's age, he's showing a decreasing lifespan after the flood. There was a man in chapter 11, verse 13, lived 438 years. Let me just walk you through this. Abram's going to live 175 years Genesis chapter 25 talks about his death. Jacob lives 147 years. Joseph, 110. And by the time of Moses, about 70 to 80 years, which is the new normal. The average person in our uh, life right now lives to be about 76. So Abram goes with his wife and Lot, and he takes their personal possessions. And uh, notice here it says the people they had acquired. Possibly these are converts Maybe, maybe not, but they set out to the land of Canaan. Now, not to infringe on the rights of others, this group keeps to the hill country, to a sacred site. Let's look at this in verse 5. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, Canaanites are bad people, okay? Verse 5. We'll just stop there for a second. <clears throat> Let's talk about this oak. Mora means teacher. Abram's about to learn a lesson. Whenever you pause, God teaches you a lesson. This is probably a pagan site. Now, this is really interesting. Oracles happened here, and Yahweh's going to take something pagan like he does all the time and make it pure. Pure. He appears to Abraham, uh, and he's going to sanctify it in just a second, verse 7. But the oak of Morah is perhaps an oak tree whose great height made it the perf- preferred place of worship. <laughs> every time I read this, I don't know why I think about this. Maybe you'll think about this, too. I think about the Winnie the Pooh tree. Just every time. I think, oh, that's probably what it looked like. I'm probably totally off, by the way. Just, just saying. But in the Old Testament, um, a lot of pagans worshipped in this manner. They worship fertility gods under the trees. They thought the tops of the heavens were considered a connection between heaven and earth, which happens a lot, right? Tower of Babel, um, we see that happen. People thought that they needed a, a ladder per se, which is going to come up later on down the road, just a little precursor to that. And they also thought this was a place of revelation. Now, you might look at that and you may think, people don't do that anymore. That's not true. As a matter of fact, those of you who were from the 60s and 70s remember the great acid boom Uh, That's coming back, actually. Uh, Our um, generation is is starting to um, go down a path of psychedelics to find new revelation. They believe that it's within them. They're not seeking anything that is scriptural. They're seeking themselves. So really, this passage of scripture hits in our society big time. Now, Abram at Shechem, uh, if you want to circle Shechem, that's an ancient city. Regarded as being the heart of Canaan. It's going to appear again in Joshua chapter 20, and it shows his faith is a hopeful faith. Our faith needs to be a hopeful faith. His hope is in the Lord's promise of a future offspring, that one that will crush the serpent's head, The hope that God will again speak to him, which he will. Now, notice this. While Abram's still worshiping, Because here's here's the crazy thing. He's worshiping according to how he used to worship, the customs of his time. But the content of his worship has changed significantly. It's interesting. When people come to know the Lord, we automatically think they, they understand this whole thing and how it works. But in reality, what's transpired is the content of their worship has changed. Be patient with people who are new believers. It takes some time. Abram's faithful worship is now longing for, hoping for a heavenly city. Now, the book of Hebrews, which we're going to study later this year, gives us great insight to Abram's life. In chapter 11, verse 10, it says he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Same is true for us. Like, we're Abram in the story, waiting, walking, hoping for the heavenly celestial city. Abram, by faith, is completely dedicated to Yahweh. He's hopeful for the future found in his covenant promises. Whatever you watch, make sure that you keep in mind that we are always hopeful for that which is to come, no matter how hard this life gets. We do not look at it and say, oh, this world is so bad. I say, let it be bad. Let's make it worse. Because the worse it gets, the better it gets for us as soon as Jesus comes and calls us home. But in the meantime, I'll I'll stay faithful to the call of calling people who are sinners out of that darkness into the glorious light. Now, these promises that were given to Abram will continue to endure through generations long after the years of infertility. So Abram's faith and his hope is in a future seed that will be holy, that will be righteous, and will bring salvation to the nations. This is a promise of God that comes to fruition in Christ. If you want to, write that down. All of this comes to fruition in Christ. The Old Testament just points to Christ who came. The New Testament points uh, to Christ who came, who will come, and who came. Now, hope is found in our journey when we place our faith in Christ. Have you done that? There's many of us who sit in church every single week, and I don't know if we're believers. I think we have head knowledge of who God is, but we do not have heart transformation based off confession of sin and repentance of that sin. Trusting in Christ as our Savior. Something to think about. All right, verse 7. Here comes an act of worship and then some application. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. How? We don't know. And he says, audibly, inaudibly, we don't know. To your offspring, I will give you this land. And so Abram builds an altar to the Lord. Sound familiar? That's Noah, by the way. Who had appeared to him, and he worships. Now, at the oak of Morah, at the time of the Canaanites, there were wicked and idolatrous people who descended from Noah's grandson, Cain. And they're in the land, all right? That's verse 6. Yahweh appears again to Abram. Now, this is called a theophany. Some people believe this is where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Uh, Okay, like, be careful with that. That's all I'm saying. This confirms Abram's arrived in the promised land and to his offspring, Yahweh will give this land. This holy land is a sacred gift. Legally, Abram's, but actual ownership is going to have to wait until a divinely appointed time. So it's his, but you have to wait Now, although Abram doesn't fully understand this, which is interesting because sometimes we don't fully understand the promises of God, but we can still trust the promises of God. Amen. Just because we don't have full revelation of some things doesn't mean we throw those things out. Abram doesn't fully understand this offspring will come from him and Sarai. Romans chapter 4, actually, verse 18, talks about Abram and Sarai's faith and hope in the promise becoming a reality. So he builds an altar. Why? Because Yahweh appeared to him. Now here, Abram doesn't use a Canaanite altar, but an altar as an expression of gratitude like Noah did in chapter 8, verse 20. He dedicates the promised land to Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, this is going to become something that people do all throughout the Old Testament text. We're going to see altars built uh, all the time. Chapter 12, 13, 22, 26, 35, Exodus 20, Joshua 22. Now, in pagan religions, land and deity were inseparable. Here, Abram acknowledges God to be the Lord of the land and has chosen Abram to own it. So what does that mean? I'll get there in just a second. Hold on. We got two two more verses. Verse 8. From there, he moves to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. Now, that's interesting because if you were here last week, anxious nomads remove their tent stakes. But here, Abram makes a breaking of ground. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he again builds another altar to the Lord. And he calls upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeys on, still going towards the Negev. Now, he's traveling from Bethel and beyond. Let me set this up just for a second. Bethel is formerly called Luz. And it's identified with uh, a town that is approximately 10 miles north of Jerusalem. Like I said last week, I'm going to say this again and again and again. This is why you have maps in the back of your Bible. Use them. Okay. Only Jerusalem is mentioned more times in the Old Testament than this site right here. This is really important. This is a catalytic moment that's happening. to uh, One of the two capitals and cult centers of the northern kingdom, for those of you who know your Bible, Ai, verse 9, is usually identified as Atel, which is a large city east of Bethel. However, in Joshua chapter 7, he speaks of it as a small city calling the traditional identification into question. Moses, our author, gives no reason why Abraham builds an altar between Bethel and Ai. We just expect it's for the purpose of staying in line with him. So what we're saying here is, Abram builds an altar... Moves, builds another altar. He's trying to make sure that he's constantly in line with what God has in store for him. He's checking himself, which is important for us too as well. Now, for Israel, the call of Abram constantly demonstrates their promises were from God. All the things that we just read about in chapter uh, 12, verse 3 and verse 2. A great nation, a great land, divine blessing, sovereign protection. His appearance, his confirmation proves that Canaan is their destiny. But Yahweh demands a response by faith if this generation were to share in promised blessing, blessings. Can you put it another way? Yeah, absolutely. Ready for this? There's a culmination of those verses. Faith takes God at his word and obeys him. Faith takes God at his word and obeys him. I told you I was at the theology conference this past week. I was so encouraged because every speaker, after they got done with presenting their thesis, were allowed to answer questions. Over and over again, guys would get up, ask a question, ask a question, ask a question. And these individuals who love the Lord would respond, not with their own opinion, but with what God's word said. It was amazing how many times they're like, well, Genesis chapter three says this. First Corinthians chapter 12 says this. Ephesians chapter two says this. Galatians chapter one. I listen to more people give responses based off what the word of God says than giving their own opinions on anything. Why? Because they know that their truth is not in them, it's in the word of God. We stand alone on the word of God. It is our sole matter of faith and practice, our final authority. We trust this word. If you're not preaching this word, then you're not preaching truth. Community gospel will be a church that is founded, grounded on the word of God. Period. This. Is our authority. And in faith, we take God's authority at his word and we obey it. Does that mean I fully understand it? Nope, not always. Matter of fact, there's some things that God tells me to do where I'm like, I don't know if that's a good idea. And he's like, well, your track record says that you don't know what you're talking about. So let me give you five ways to apply these verses to life today. Number one. See faith, trust, and obedience as an act of worship. God says you don't have to know everything. You just need to know the thing. And it's an act of worship. For some of you in life right now, the divine path is so clear. You are walking on it, and you're doing a great job walking on it. And for some of us, we have no idea. We are fumbling and stumbling our way to the finish line, and that's okay. Continue to be faithful and obedient as an act of worship. This could be in your workplace. This could be in your home. This could be in a situation that you're dealing with right now. Trust the Lord. Do not compromise on your integrity. Number two, don't just trust in some of the promises of God. Trust in all of them. There are so many promises of God. If you even Google these, you will see a laundry list of the promises of God that are given to us in faith. And those promises are for today and they are for tomorrow and they are for the next day and they are for the next day and they are also for eternity. So what am I supposed to do with them? Well, here's a crazy idea. Print them out. Put them everywhere. My beautiful, beloved wife puts scripture verses inside of the cabinets of our kitchen. I open it up to get a cereal bowl, and I'm slapped in the face with Ephesians chapter 2. And to make things even better, she puts pictures of us next to the verses. <laughs> and I think, is she trying to tell me something? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> put them everywhere you possibly could put them. Put those promises in places that you will see them the most. I have the Ten Commandments on my bathroom mirror and I brush my teeth and I think, nope, miss that one. Nope, miss that one. Right? Put them in your tractor, in your classroom, in your planner, everywhere. Trust those things. And here's the crazy thing. We were just talking about this. Repeat them over and over and over and over again. It's amazing how many times we know those promises because we're familiar with them, but we haven't repeated enough so that we can Repeat them to the people that we come around. Number three. Brothers and sisters, be open to change. God is going to call you at the weirdest times and the weirdest moments to pivot. It happens in the weirdest spots in this life. There are so many times where God would be like, we're going this direction. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, now we're going this direction. It usually happens in Everyday dialogue. I'm sitting talking with somebody I haven't eaten, and sure enough, God wants me to have a divine conversation with them. What? I'll be driving with my kids, and they'll ask me a question about Scripture, and I'll think to myself, not right now. Not after what you did this morning. (laughs) We have to be open to change. That coworker that drives you crazy, that asked you that question, and you think to yourself, They're just trying to trip me up. Maybe, maybe not. Faith flourishes outside of our comfort zones. Abram's faith, you'll go back to scriptures over and over again. You will see that he flourishes the most when his comfort zone is completely obliterated. Number four, be grateful. Abram builds two altars. Let me just tell you something, church. Gratitude is the destroyer of depression. Be an altar to the Lord. Die daily to yourself. And number five, journey with purpose. Keep moving forward for the gospel. Evangelism, sharing our faith, edification, building up our brothers and sisters in Christ at the core. This gives us purpose for all our pursuits. Why am I on this earth? To do two things. Share the gospel with those who don't know the gospel, giving them the opportunity to come to Christ. And number two, edify. Build up the church. Those who know the Lord by being grateful. In Abram's call, we witness a clear contrast between human pride at the Tower of Babel and divine purpose in Abram's faith and obedience. Abram's call demonstrated steadfast trust, A testament to the faith that surrenders everything to follow God's plan. And he walks in faith, very similar to what Paul will say in Ephesians. Hopeful dedication. He builds altars to the Lord, demonstrates gratitude, acknowledges God's sovereignty. He is a true Romans 12 walking worshiper, living faithfully, hopefully, and obediently. Looking forward to the Messiah who would come. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, may we trust in your promises and embrace changes that you ask of us to align more with your word and your will and your ways. As we start to see Abram, which we will see so much in the Genesis account, we will see him trust your plan and trust in the Messiah and walk empowered by your filling, and guided by your promise. We need to do the same. If you're here right now and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, may this be the day of your salvation. May you repent of your sin and believe that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And for those of us who know you, Lord, may our obedience stir in us a desire to be faithful. Some of us have compromised our integrity at the foot of trying to be popular and liked. Lord, help us to die to ourselves daily. Find purpose and hope in your word and what it says. Maybe we be students of the word who constantly are building an altar for you daily through our everyday lives. We trust you, Lord. We do. Work in us and through us. In your name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.